Recovery Sort Of is a podcast where we discuss recovery topics from the perspective of people living in long-term recovery. This podcast does not intend to represent the views of any particular group, organization, or fellowship. The attitudes expressed are solely the opinion of its contributors. Be advised, there may be strong language or topics of an adult nature. Hi, welcome to Recovery Sort Of. I'm Billy. I'm a person in long-term recovery. And I'm Jason, a guy in long-term recovery. So this week we're here with Jason Beanard, and we are going to talk about harm reduction and reaching out to do uh, trauma care in the community. Um, so getting into that, Jason C. and I <laughs> <laughs> decided C. we would try to come up with an interesting backstory. So what we understand, Jason is not an addict himself, but got into this line of work. And we weren't exactly sure why, and it's always amazing that people would help addicts when they're not addicts. So, you know, that I always assumed anybody that works in the treatment field is an addict, and if the, not that, then they're doing it for money. So that was my only two reasons I ever thought. Or their family. Yeah. They have, like, a family member yeah. that really mattered a lot. So uh, so we decided we would try to come up with a reason, like, a backstory reason why he got into this. So I'll let you go first. Oh, I'm and going you, first? Okay. Yeah, you could go first. All right, so, Jason... This is your backstory of what happened to you <laughs> that got you into helping substance abuse people. So when you were three years old, your parents went to a movie. And as they were leaving this movie, they walked through a shortcut in a dark alley. And during a botched robbery attempt for your mother's pearl necklace, uh, they were sadly killed. From there, you became an orphan. Uh, you got a little lost in the system. Somehow you were left behind. They just completely forgot about you. And you were adopted by a rat with a black belt. From there, you were trained in martial arts by this rat in the sewer. And uh, unfortunately, one day your, your rat dad was injured in a serious battle trying to save the world. And he ended up on pain medicine. And eventually you lost him to addiction. And then you ended up in a swamp forest area. And there was a small green fellow who trained you in the ways of nursing <laughs> and and now you've dedicated your life to fighting the dark side of infections <laughs> that's my that's my version oh that's a that's a take on several superheroes <laughs> all rolled into one gosh now mine sounds insulting so i don't know if i want to even say it i it's it's way less noble <laughs> Yours is like a noble path of heroism. <laughs> what's, uh, what's yours? So mine was after seeing all these reality shows, Dr. Pimple Popper and these other medical shows that you're on a quest to start a new reality show that exploits the trauma of addicts. <laughs> <laughs> I, I actually did think something along those lines. I was like, it, does he just really like weird wounds? Yeah, <laughs> it's like, kind of into that. You're actually yeah. closer with that. Yeah. <laughs> you're, you're closer, Jason, yeah. with that one. So how how did you end up wanting to really like I mean cuz this is not like I don't want to say it's not your job like you you have a job and then right. this is something you just really felt compelled to do outside of that. Absolutely. So just to clarify for everybody listening Jason 
uh, works with voices. He has his, his full-time gig already. And then, you know, he'd said, you know what, Voices of Hope, I really want to help people in the community who are struggling with substance abuse and will not go seek medical attention for whatever reason. I want to take it to them. And so that's like, you got to have a drive to do that, right? You, yeah, you're not, this isn't just like, drive. oh my God, I, I can get a job here and work extra time. So <laughs> tell us your story. We'd love to hear that. So I've been a nurse now for almost 15 years, a little short of that. And in the very beginning, I wanted to do wound care. No clue why, just wanted to do it. Um, started working in, down in Hopkins and the burn unit. Um, I didn't really like it. It was a people. And mm. everybody was, I, I thought nurses were kind of mean. Mm. Um, then once I got my license as a nurse, I was a tech then. Uh, I started working in the ICU and someone kind of tapped me and said, you're really good with wound care. Um, from that point on, she kind of pushed me to get my certification in it, which is weird because it's, I guess when you find someone that likes it, you kind of know it. Mm-hmm. And you, then she, I don't know, she was the whole reason I got into it. Um, fast forward six years, I found myself in an outpatient wound clinic and an infectious disease doctor who herself had never been in any kind of recovery or anything like that. Um, I don't think she even had been around drugs before or any kind of like even alternative lifestyles. She asked me to come with her on a volunteer project she did. She didn't really tell me what it was. She said, wear jeans, show up here. And it was for the Baltimore City Needle Exchange Program. She needed a wound nurse. And in the past year of her watching me, she was bringing people in and not really saying she was bringing them in and picking me to take care of them to see if, like, she kind of, I guess, she was vetting me, I guess, for lack of a better term. (laughs) Um. And she was one of the head doctors for the NEP down in Baltimore City. Her specialty was infectious disease with HIV, like viral stuff, and hepatitis. That's how she got involved. Um, The year I got involved with them, she left and went to Asheville to kind of continue the same thing there. Um, I wasn't going to follow. So Mm. she basically had set me up there to take over her position doing wound care. And um, then... I don't know. I didn't want to work for the city. I started working at another hospital and their wound center. I managed it. And they were sent, the needle exchange program was sending people to me. Um, and that's it. Then I got, uh, I start. I, I now work in a cardiac cath lab, which is complete opposite of that. Um, I wanted to follow a different director. Things kind of sucked with my old director and, to get into the cath lab is great money. I mean, it's phenomenal money and stuff, but it's a conveyor belt of humans. Mm. That's all it is. And through like different health department people, I met you guys and you guys had a need. And oddly enough, I'm, I don't think I'm good at a lot, but I'm good at that. Like wound care and talking to people. And it's basically, it's like dog training. You just train the person to take care of themselves and you just kind of guide them a little bit. I mean, it's, it's not that complicated when you actually boil it down, but um, and there's a bit of compassion involved, which is way different than I think I, I can do anywhere else. Mm. When you're kneeling down, taking care of someone in, in their house or their tent or wherever, it's a completely different vibe than sitting in a hospital. Like the hospital people want to be there. You're being invited in someone's home who really doesn't want you there. 
you know, it's a, it's different. I don't know. It fills the nursing cup. If I could get rid of all organized medicine, I would and step into this kind of field. Wow. Like that's where I'm at in my life. Like I'm 45 and I don't know. I didn't come out. I didn't have anybody in my life until I got older that had any kind of addiction issues. Um, and that was my wife's family. Like my family had the closeted stuff. No one had really died from it. They're all functional folks. Mm-hmm. You really didn't, you only see pictures of your grandfather holding a big beer stein every picture and you ask like, what? that's in every picture like oh he was a functional alcoholic which i didn't know what that meant mm. like okay but he drank every day but he was he worked in the steel mill so that was acceptable right he actually super glued that to his hand when he was four <laughs> it was like it was like a gallon stein i've never seen steins as big he had a he had a uh, cigar and a stein every photo kids uh-huh. there's like an infant laying on his lap and he had this stein and a cigar <laughs> It's so dated. It reminds me of all those 80s pictures of like kids' birthdays where the person smoking the cigarette, like leaning over them, lighting right. the candles like, for them. Yeah, <laughs> right, right in front of their face with the cigarette. Right. We look at it now and be like, oh my God. Your, mom, your mom's Child singing abuse. happy birthday and the cigarette's <laughs> yeah. flipping right. around the side of her mouth. <laughs> Ashes falling yeah. on the cake. <laughs> she had that long, like, three-inch ash hanging off. Nobody cared back then. It's okay. crazy. So that's, I mean, you made some incredible statements in that, just the, the conveyor belt statement of medicine, the fact that you are someone who works in the medical profession and would wipe out the medical profession to do something completely different or, or start, start it afresh. Uh, that says a lot about the condition of modern medicine to me. Yeah. Why do, uh, I mean, just a more personal question, and then we'll delve into some of that because I want to get into that a little more. Do you find it's a like a personality thing that you can deal with? What I'll call deal with, like some of the trauma and wound care. Like I see that stuff, and I almost like I can't even look at some of the injuries, let alone try to like think rationally about okay, how do we treat this and what do we do? <laughs> so it, it's funny you say that. The woman I asked the woman that got me into this, the nurse, why she chose me, like why, and she said that there was a patient that we saw. Um, who had a huge amount of gangrene on their leg and their back. And she had her hands inside the body. And she's like, do you want to feel the spine? And I said, sure. She's like, put gloves on. And she's like, but you need the smell first. Mm. And that was my test, the smell, which is an awful odor. If you, yeah. you walk into a room with gangrene, you know immediately. It'll make most people puke. And she's like, do you smell that? She's like, lean in. And the fact that I leaned in, she's like, you're a wound care person. Huh. Like, so yeah, you it's wanted to see what it is. <laughs> that was yeah. disgusting. It was the worst smell yeah. I've ever smelled in my life. Instant huh. gag. But the fact I did that and the fact that I was anxious and I wanted to take care of this this patient, she's like, that's it. You're, you're you don't get people like that often. Right. Huh. Uh, that's amazing. Yeah. No, it's not. It's disgusting. It's really <laughs> gross. But you see that in other people. Um, I met a nurse recently that we were talking wounds about what I what I do with you guys, and we're just talking about stuff. She's like, well, what would you do for that? What, is, what does that smell like? And like right there, the smell thing. The yeah. minute someone asks about the smell, yeah, either they're, they're fascinated by it or they're, <laughs> right. they're weird enough to want to do it. But, um, yeah, it, it's, it, it is very bizarre. It's very visceral. Yeah, so in this work, like why aren't people seeking medical treatment why aren't people willing to go to hospitals or some of these you know pop up so um that's i think it's multifold. At, at least i can speak for the people in like in in where voices you reaches out and some for towards the city it's fear of it towards the city it's more fear of medicine lying to them um hmm. 
up in this end of town, it seems to be more fear of being treated poorly. Hmm. There's a lot of there's a lot of scars and battle wounds for emergency room and critical care people, and I think it's um, I don't I we call it caregiver role strain. I don't know what what, what it's called elsewhere, but it's a you just get battle bruised, and when you see something coming at you, you automatically put up your defenses and you fight instead of care. I mean, because ultimately we just get paid to take care of people, but when someone comes in and they're like, oh, you know, I really hurt myself or I had this infection and the first words out of the nurse's mouth are, we're not giving you pain medicine. That, that's battle words. Yeah. I, and I recently had that with a coworker who's a middle-aged, you know, guy's my age, he's 47 and he went in for some issues with his back and, and never did the words, you know, pain medicine come out of his mouth. But as soon as he went in, he said that was one of the very first things they said to him is, well, we're not giving you any kind of pain medication. <laughs> He's and like, I, I want someone to do something about my back. I don't right. give a shit about pain And I, I think medicine recognizes there's an issue with, like, drug-seeking behavior, but they're they're attacking it completely inappropriately. Right. That the, is not the way you do the it. The opposite you, way. Yeah, you're like – you can't say I'm not giving you pain medicine because it's that's that's a tool in, in the toolbox to take care of people. If pain is limiting your ability to do things, you should treat it. Right. But mm. to say you're not going to do it when the person walks in or discusses problems, that's and that's where we are. And I, I think we dug ourselves in in the 80s and 90s and um, in the early 2000s. And then all of a sudden we realized like we're like in a giant hole mm. like of addiction and people selling prescription pills and the pharmaceutical companies are involved in it. And then all of a sudden, like, how do we dig ourselves out? Well, we, we make the patients that need it suffer, hmm. which is the only way out is by everyone hurts instead of the people taking responsibility for it and trying to find a better way to do it. See, if we gave out free drugs to everyone who wanted <laughs> them, we wouldn't have to worry about it anymore. I, I the more I, someone told me that about two years ago, I was like, you're absolutely out of your mind. <laughs> then recently I started thinking about it. If, if you legalize things in that sense and you streamlined it to where it's safe, you wouldn't need me for 90% of the stuff that I'm saying because mm-hmm. there'd be no adulterants. You totally disband the underground drug trade and all the ne- unnecessary people locked up, all the necessary people locked up. All that stuff would dissipate and you could actually socially work towards taking care of people. Yes. Yeah, and we talked with some some ladies a couple weeks ago um, about the war on drugs, the failed war on drugs people from the drug policy alliance and they had explained how the like the ripple effect of the drug war you know kind of ripples out into all these other areas and then recently i was going through a ted talk about addiction and they were explaining how some of the the questioning and things that they ask when people go into the emergency room you know well, how often are you using? Where are you getting your drugs? You know, those kind of things are very like stigmatizing and can put people in a really bad place when they go in there to seek treatment for, you know, mm-hmm. say it's from IV drug use and they have some infection. Um, they're put in a place where they have to start thinking like, are they going to try to take my kids? Is a cop going to come start asking me a bunch of questions? Like all those sorts of things. And so you know, it's like indirectly the the medical field has become like this extension of this war on drugs. It's it's sad. It, it completely has. I, it wasn't until once they legalized uh, marijuana in Maryland for medicinal, it it took almost six months for that to actually come through on our computers as a medicine you can check. Up until <laughs> mm. that point, though, for like six seven months, they were drug addicts. It was it was into the drug use category, <laughs> which. I mean, anything we, and all medicine's a drug. 
So all, all right. of it technically is drug use, but that category includes amphetamines, uh, benzos, like for for recreational stuff or addiction stuff. But it had cannabis wasn't put into a regular medicine. It took six months for it to catch on. So, so that, there's six months of people that have a drug problem, and they right. actually had a legitimate prescription. So I run into this uh, doing therapy in the intake form. It's like, can you list your prescriptions you're on? Do you, you know how often do you use alcohol and how often, if at all, do you use illicit drugs? And people don't know where to put their medical marijuana prescription. They're like, most people put it under illicit drug use, and I'm like, that's a prescription. Put it <laughs> yeah. under prescription. You have a prescription like, for don't. It. Yeah, that's if you not have a legitimate a, prescription. That's where. So it goes. that's interesting. Do you know if the like does a medical field treat, let's say, uh, what I'm going to call prescription addiction? Because to me, like addiction is addiction. Yep. But if you put someone on Valium even though it's prescribed by a doctor and they're on it for several years, they're addicted to value. You know, it's like, that's a, that's to me, it's the same thing as a, any other addiction, but does the medical field look at it like that? No. Or is that different? It's different no. if you're on prescription versus as long as there's a piece illicit. of paper from a doctor, it gets questionable when, when people doctor hop for that paper, hmm. that's a different kind of thing. And usually I don't. Even, I don't know how the doctors look at it. I know <laughs> that I know that a patient that I had recently seen at my hospital for heart stuff was deemed addicted to methamphetamines because his Utah said he had methamphetamine. His he had been on Vivance for ADHD for like four years, and that's what was coming up positive. Yeah. Mm. And when I think of Adderall. You know, yeah. Adderall's but I went to go one. see like, the guy. We went to go pick him up. And he, he's a cellar dweller guy. Like, he lived in his basement. He played video games all the time. I'm like, this guy, he's pasty white. He's set. I'm like, he's not an amphetamine addict. Like, <laughs> but every doctor had deemed him as that. Mm. I was like, did anybody wow. look at his drug list? Like, he's on ADHD medicine. Like, wow. And the guy, the guy upstairs hadn't had his medicine since he had been here. He had been there for about a week. And he complete attention issues. Like, he's fidgeting in bed. Mm. I'm like, if you're withdrawing from, like... Like amphetamines, you don't do that. Like he'd be sleeping everything off. Like his ADHD right. was running rampant. Hmm. That, I, I mean, it baffles my mind that as educated as we believe, and I believe doctors in the medical profession is, that we would look at addiction differently, whether it's prescribed by a doctor or whether it's, it's someone blinders. That's seeking, we have blinders see, on. Yeah, it's, it goes crazy. back to the medicine being a conveyor belt. I mean, I'm an idiot, and thing. I can see that. <laughs> yeah, no, no, it's <laughs> common sense. They're great, they're brilliant, but they're this, they some of them lack common sense. <laughs> yeah. And there's there's so many blinders on. They see like the heart doctors see the heart part, but don't see the rest of it. The um, and that that's actually interesting about wound care because it's all of it. Like it's every system in the body, like the nerve pain, the wounds, all this other stuff. It's the whole person combined. Um. Like the heart doctors see the heart stuff. The kidney only sees the kidney. They, and how they interact slightly, they don't look at the big picture anymore. Yeah, there's, no, I, there's no time for it. I think we're mm-hmm. coming to that understanding with you know drug addiction as well. Like it's not just a oh this happens so you're an addict. So if we just treat this thing, yeah, you'll we just be take fine. away the opiates. They're not going to be addicted anymore. Right. You have to treat the human. Right, that, like it's there's a, a soul. Holistic- that's, yeah, there's a soul inside that person that's broken a little bit. Yeah, needs some duct tape and love. Huh. And it's almost like you got two entities fighting on the same, like the war on drugs has teamed up with the, the desire of insurance companies to make money. And like those two forces in tandem are what's fighting it because 
you got the war on drugs saying these people are cruddy, that they should have made better choices. And then you got the healthcare insurance agency saying you need to get this shit done fast to get mm-hmm. make money. Like this is, we're only paying you for 15 yep. minutes of seeing them, not half an hour. So you better, you know, limit your time and not take all the effort you need to really do something for it. It's almost opening a Pandora's box. So if they actually go after the drug issue, you're opening up Pandora's box and you're going to deal with psychological stuff, past trauma, um, issues that, that need, that need like long-term therapy. Mm, And then you're still treating the addiction portion. And there's, it's just, it's a throughput. It's per head. It's speed versus per person. Well, and that's where I believe like some of the work you get into kind of, I'll say crosses over. It's like people that are willing to neglect their own health to the point of, you know, serious gangrene or, or serious infection that you know is not right right or healthy. Like there is a, I don't want to say it's a, a mental disorder, but there's definitely some sort of mental trauma or, or something going on there that would lead a person to just ignore that sort of thing. And So I, it's interesting because I've been kind of exploring that. Recently, I've seen things I've never seen before in the wild, like going into someone's house and their arm is dead, like just dead, like dead from above the elbow down. Wow. And they don't want to go to the hospital. And they're scared to have me even come by. That's why, like, when I go out, I, I make sure I'm with someone, especially new people, like new visits, someone that's actually like a peer recovery specialist. So, because I get tested and this house tested me. I walked into the house and guy had a dead arm, didn't want to go to the hospital. He's he's a veteran, um, young too. And the whole house was was a, a house it was a, you everybody was using in the house and the girl's like you've never done heroin uh, you're right i haven't i haven't, I haven't. the person okay. i was with leaned in they were they were watching the door he leaned in he's like i've been arrested gun charges drugs you name it heroin it's no big deal i've done it all i'm in recovery though you can too i'm like that's why i bring people with me because it's not like i can't relate i'm not trying to relate right. i'm like you are right and you, I'm not trying to show you someone that says not lying. Right. The one thing I've learned right. is everybody knows a liar right. immediately. <laughs> so you ask, don't accuse me, just ask me. But what I get to know with the people in the in the house, like asking him, what, why did the why why did you let this go? And he's like, I'm scared of the truth. Mm. Like I'm scared of the. I know what's going to happen. And I think that's kind of what brings people to drugs too is being scared of what's happening like a lot of his escapism they just check out for a minute right. and, and then then the minute becomes a week a week becomes a life it's like when you meet people i always ask when they started what they were doing leading up to that hmm. the initial like where they where they feel they they slipped and it became like a, a habit instead of being like a, a thing to do for fun and you can usually piece their life back together to then. Everything's been on pause. There's been no advancement in their social life. There's been no advancement except for the tiny community of people keeping each other alive. And I think that's where you guys come in. Like you guys are stepped out of that now. Everybody's in recovery. And you guys are like, we can still keep you alive. But, hey, guess what? There's a whole other world with no, no drugs. Like you, you can do it. Like There's a whole recovery side of this. Like It takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of effort. But look, we're in it, and we're still taking care of the people that we took care that were taking care of us before. Yeah, and and interestingly, we've been exploring some of this. We went through 
like the traditions of our 12-step fellowship, we were talking about, you know, a desire to, to stay clean. And it challenged me to think about the way that I look at people that are using. And I've sort of been coming around to this idea that I can have the same love and compassion and empathy for people that are actively using as I have for mm -hmm. people that are in recovery. Like those, those two things aren't mutually exclusive. And for a long time, as a person in recovery for years, it was easy to say, Oh, these people that are out using, you know, they just they get what they deserve, and that's the life they it's chose. Like a hierarchy and, and, thing. We're, yeah, we're and it's better off. Yeah, no. like that's very. Uh, it's not a comfortable realization to be like, man, I need to have, or I can choose to have compassion and empathy and love for right. these people. It's a choice. Yeah. Whether they find recovery or not is is yep. completely up to them. But I can still love and care about them, and and hope that something turns. That's around actually in why their I life. tell people when I meet them. I'm like, look, I don't, I don't care where you are. If you're thinking about recovery, if you want to go into a program, whatever you want to do, I don't care. It doesn't bother me. Like, what bothers me is that you have this wound that no one's taking care of. Right, you're suffering. And what can you, we do? you mean something to me. I tell everybody, like, I get permission to touch them. I get permission to take pictures. I'm like, look, I'm gonna treat you like your family, and I don't care. Your story is yours to share with me. If I, if you want to share it, go ahead. If you don't, I don't care. Like, I'm gonna take care of you right now, and I'll be back next week. That's it. So you treat everybody like a friend. So I and and I want to bookmark that pictures comment because I do want to come back around to that near the end. Uh, I think it's interesting. Um, so what are you finding? Is it all stuff from IV drug use, or are you finding like I mean, are there are there weed wounds? Like do people? <laughs> oh. Can I ask one question leading yeah. into that? It Go might ahead. lead right into that. So okay. what, what like what typically do you guys do? I mean, I, there's a big RV outside with a thing on it, and you. Like, what's a normal visit or what's that whole so, process look um, like? It's, a lot of it's word of mouth now. Before it was uh, the street team saying, we got a wound nurse, we got someone that does this. Um, we're got out. So now I got a list of people I try to schedule. I, oddly enough, I can't schedule a lot of the folks that are actively using a week before. Can't do it like regular medicine. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, we chase one woman around for weeks. Every house. No, she doesn't live here anymore. She was here two days ago. Yeah, yeah. she lived here then, not now. Uh. Like, okay. So we like nailing people down has to be the day of. But we go out uh, two to three people. If we go out in a car, it's just two people. Um, and you basically knock on the door and introduce yourself. I mean, this is like grassroots. This is this is I when people say what is harm reduction, I was like, let me just tell you about a visit because <laughs> this is a hundred percent harm reduction. And up in up in this county the person I take with me also can provide harm reduction services like safe use supplies. Um, we will trade out sharps containers. We'll take stuff from their house or their ho like hotel or um, tent or wherever and, and make sure they're safe where they're at. Um, but it's basically you walk in, introduce yourself. I give a quick rundown about me. Most people don't care. They know you guys well. They know voices really well. And if voices is bringing someone in, they trust them. We haven't hit that in Hartford County yet, um, the other county. But up here, it's like, hey, this is what's going on. And I read the person immediately. I try to joke with them. If they laugh, I know that it's a different kind of interaction I can have. If they're real serious, I know I need to be real serious. Um, if they're shy and withdrawn, like I got to get – there's a whole nother body language thing I got to get into with them. Um, but, I mean, I've taken people to the hospital up here already. My first rule of thumb in the city is no one ever in my car. I go out on one call, one call that was like kind of an emergency call. And I'm taking a kid to the hospital, which is, and it's, I knew it was the right thing to do. 
so the rules kind of there are no real rules hard and fast safety and um mm. it's everything's different each person's different right and then when we go out in the truck it's a three-person gig um a driver someone in the back with me and me because i get so transfixed on the person that i could be robbed blind like i mean i like I don't take anything with me, but I could be robbed blind. I mean, right. they, people would take my shoes off, and I wouldn't even know. <laughs> They're like, oh shit, where my shoes go? Because um, I'm I'm usually kneeling down in front of them. Like I always lower myself down, so there's no like like pressure kind of stuff on them, and just talk to them, looking up at them, and just talk to them about what's going on. So at that moment, I'm numb to the rest of the world. So that person in the back watches out for me, but that's. Like we've been in parking lots, we've been in abandoned food shops. We're still getting the the truck, the the camper, running to efficiency, and it's we got to find the right drivers and stuff. That's a complicated beast. Yeah, <laughs> and there's a lot of low wires up in this county. There are a lot of low wires yeah. where we're gonna we're we're going to take out someone's power at some point. <laughs> I know, I just know we are. I don't want to. That's why I won't drive. But we're gonna take out the power somehow. That's way more optimistic. I just assumed we were going to hit cars and run over someone, honestly. <laughs> so the people driving have been great. Everybody right. driving it have been phenomenal. Um, and they're much more conscious of the height than I am. Mm. I'm like, oh, no, you can make it. <laughs> yeah, it looks good. <laughs> but that, that's it. I mean, that's a normal visit. You go out, and then we have some supplies. I'm kind of limited because not being a doctor, we can't prescribe. Um, the stuff I get, I'm sure you can buy over the counter, like target can order it for people. So as long as target can order it without a prescription, I can, in my, with my certification, I can suggest expert use, meaning that it, my license covers me, um, because it's something that you could buy over the counter and my experience with it has garnered that, uh, protection to suggest it for a wound. Um, but for, I don't even know what the legality is uh, <laughs> with the rest of it. I just tell people, look, this is a suggestion. Don't use it. I'm going to give it to you. Don't use it. I don't care. Right. Like if, if you think it's hurting you, stop. Like common sense plays into this. Because um, I, I haven't met, I haven't seen of the other wound people that do this across the country. No one that I've ever spoken to has ever been sued. No one's ever come back and said, hey, you cost me my arm. Everybody knows what's happening. And all we're doing is trying to stop them from going to the emergency room when we can and urging people to go when they need to. It's trust-built stuff. I never in my life thought I'd see vigilante nursing. <laughs> yeah. that's, that's exactly <laughs> yeah. what this is. Yeah. That's, that's wild. That is insane. Everybody at work, when I tell them, they're like, why do you do this? I, I, like, what do you do this for? Why would you go into someone's house? It's so unsafe. That's so this. Like, that's what nursing is. Yeah. Like, we were trained to do something for people. Like it doesn't say where the care and compassion has mm. to happen. It doesn't have in the doctor's office. Right. right. Like it Yeah, human it beings are anywhere. suffering. Yeah, we're all <laughs> like, we're all people. Right. And we're only here for a little bit of the amount of time. Whether you're clean, whether you're not, whether you got whatever your life story is, we're not here long. Hmm. You got a hundred years to make or break a difference and like forty good ones to do something. That's it. I, I still strongly identify with the people you're talking about and not only so much in the fact that they they've used drugs and struggle with that problem but like in the sense that i too avoid the doctor when i know something is wrong mm -hmm. that i don't want to hear the truth about because it sounds awful my back hurts frequently and it's like i don't really want to go find out i need a back mm -hmm. surgery i'll just keep working on it right yeah. uh we were just talking before you got here this morning of like trying to escape and avoid the reality or the consequences and i'm like 
that's my life story. And right now I'm currently <laughs> like, I'm not going to get the vaccine because everybody I see that gets it gets a really sore arm for like a week. And I'm like, I'll just take my chances later. <laughs> like, I don't want that sore arm for a week, right? Twice. So, I, I mean, I just, I get it. These, these same like very mm-hmm. human conditions or reasons why people don't go. And then if you add on, uh, well, I'm kind of preoccupied feeding a 24 hour monster in my body that says I need more drugs. And you add in the fact that I'm going to be treated like absolute dog shit when I go there. Yep. Well, yeah, that doesn't make it very likely that I'm going to want to go to the medical professionals. Yeah. And, and even when I go to the doctor now, I mean, in the beginning of, you know, my recovery, I was very adamant about letting all the doctors know, like I'm in recovery. I can't take any. So I don't do that as much anymore because I'm a little bit worried of what, treatment they're going to provide mm. me like you're going to treat me different because i say i had a drug problem 20 years ago you're putting <laughs> like, yourself you're putting yourself on that track yeah. when you first meet people yeah i, I, I don't recommend that in medicine and when people ask questions share or if they ask a specific that has something to do with it but you get put on a track immediately yeah and and there's a there's still a stigma and you know i'm like i just want them to tell me what the best level of care is not start making decisions about what i did 20 years ago you know mm-hmm and it's it's tricky too because like I've had surgeries in recovery where they're like, "Look, here's pain medicine," and I'm like, ah, "Is there any way we cannot?" Right? Like I I got a history with that. I'd rather avoid it. And they're like, "Look, this is part of healing. Honestly, like your muscle needs to relax and be pain free enough to not be swelled up so that it can heal itself." And I I took that and trusted it, and and I don't know if it's true or not, honestly. But now I look at it like, well, if I tell the doctor my history and he tries to avoid pain medicine, what if it was the better medicine for me in that moment? And I'm like not getting it because he knows I I used some time ago in my life. Like that's scary too. So now I'm like, I don't know what the fuck to do. It's would you you hit the nail on the head? Um, pain medicine is important. Like muscle relaxing is important when you have surgeries. Really is like hip transplant, all this stuff. A lot of medicine now is switching over. Like the hospital I work at now. They do IV, um, IV, it's basically IV Tylenol. It's high-dose mm. uh, acetaminophen. IV works amazing, uh, amazing t- for that. Super expensive, um, but it, it's amazing. And that's standard of care, and it decreases the amount of opiates need like tenfold. Right. So they don't, they don't discharge you with a ton of pain medicine anymore because we've learned. Um, like they're, they're doing rapid recovery now. You get a new hip or knee, you're standing that day. You're home wow. that day. COVID pushed people to do that. <laughs> Partly insurance is saying this might be good. And that scares me whenever insurance is like, <laughs> yeah, hey, right. go get it. It's, insurance is making the decision. Um, <laughs> so, but the speedy recovery is, I know that my, the hospital I worked at before and with my mother-in-law, um, she, she drinks heavily daily and being honest about that got her out quicker so she didn't go into absolute withdrawal. Wow. And so that was being honest. Um, and they were like, thanks for being honest. Like, this is how we're, what we're going to do then. We have a whole protocol for people with alcohol uh, abuse issues. Mm. Um, and she wasn't going to tell them. So by like day two, being in a hospital, she would get the shakes and hallucinated right. and all night hard. It's like she's, she's a pretty heavy drinker. Um, so that honesty actually helped her. Uh, we see a lot of people put down on their their uh, med list that they're allergic to all opiates. 
<laughs> no one's allergic to oatmeal. Yeah, right. You know exactly what that means yeah. when you see it. <laughs> it's usually a flag that pops up. Right. Um, Break out handcuffs and track marks. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> like, you're looking for IV sites. You're like, hey, do you can you help me get an IV in you? <laughs> yeah, right here. Um, but it's I don't know what the answer is for that. That's a whole different. I mean, that's a whole different talk. Like yeah. stigma associated with right. substance issues. Because I mean, honestly, today's time it hits everybody. Yeah. I honestly don't know of a single soul in my workplace that doesn't have someone in their family that has died from some drug or alcohol. Because mm-hmm. this, this conversation has come up multiple times. And everybody's like, that's disgusting. They're, they're, that's the dregs of society. You should just let them die. Really? That, mm. You fought for your nephew just because you have a, like a nice rich family and you can bottle him mm. up in your basement? He was different. Yeah. yeah. That's it. That was, <laughs> well, he wasn't like them him. other people. Right. He's not like the people that don't have a place to live. Yeah. He's got this nice house. No, he doesn't. Right. Like, it's the same people. Everybody yeah. deserves a chance. This episode has been brought to you by Voices of Hope, Inc., a nonprofit grassroots recovery community organization located in Maryland. Voices of Hope is made up of people in recovery, family members, and allies. Together, members strive to protect the dignity and respect of those that use drugs and those in recovery by advocating for treatment, support resources, and mentoring. Please visit us at www.voicesofhopececilmd.org and consider donating to our cause. So what are you running into out there? Like, what's the the kind of stuff you run into? I don't know much about wounds or anything, but I'm curious a little. So right now, like, I classify them. Like, you got your 1970s, like, just abscess. Just a little, like, you know, dirty needle abscess. You find out someone's been licking their needle to clean it. And (laughs) it's a little wound. You, like, most folks know how to treat it. Um, And those are, like, your run-of-the-mill, like, track marks with an infected site, that kind of stuff. I'm picturing when you used to blow up the basketball with the the little hand pump and you lick the needle first before you put it in. I I can't believe – I see, I'm naive to a lot of this, and that's why – when I'm, that's why I also like to have people with some seasoning under their belt when I go out, because I'll get in the car and be like, "Do people use their forehead as an injection site?" <laughs> like, oh yeah, I did it before. I, oh, wow. Man. I'm like, wow. Yeah. Like, where do you tie off? Right. <laughs> the neck. <laughs> like, do you tie the neck? Like, how do you do that? That's uh, why we're losing so many yeah. people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's not overdose. It's asphyxiation. Right. Tying off of the tourniquet. <laughs> their uh. neck. Um, but Ooh. so. There's a whole new type of wound out there, and it's. I started seeing it, I guess, like five years ago. You saw it a little bit. We actually had a presentation at Hopkins about it, and it's it's one of the adulterants in it is levomasole, which is an old cattle dewormer, and it makes its way into the supposed heroin, quote-unquote, by way of cutting it with coke. Cause it's in like 80% of cocaine that people buy. Hmm. Um, cause it passes a street test in bleach. It looks, it acts just like Coke. So like one in a thousand people will have a reaction. It could be anywhere in the body. It's not an injection site, but it's a severe reaction that affects the outer layers of skin, but doesn't go into the muscle. It's a very distinct, very distinct huh. wound. So 
we saw that like someone's ear fell off, their nose fell off, like Holy all this, shit. and that's yeah, it's just from drug use, and that created a, like a big like what the hell's going on? So they tested the tissue, and luckily Hopkins and dermatology is they they had enough wherewithal to dig deep into it and see what it was. And it's levomisole, it's a vasculitis. So I stopped seeing it. We never saw it again. And then a kid came to me like four or five years ago and he had wounds on the opposite arm of his injection. And it was very similar to that. But this was during, this was all pre COVID. This is, um, there was, according to him, there's a dry run in the city and he would, he's like, all the heroin I'm buying now has little pink and blue dots in it and stuff. I'm like, those are crushed up pills. That's just the skin to a pill that hasn't been ground up. Right. So, that's what he was using at the time and he was having the same allergic reaction and mm-hmm. you treat it by not by by changing your source telling them to go buy from somebody else without pink and blue dots in your, <laughs> your drugs um and not injecting around the site anywhere near there and his arms cleared up it's a long slow process but it, it's immune reaction so it's clean like your immune system's fighting your own body right. so you don't the risk for infection is lower um and then, then I worked for you guys, and I, this is like ground zero for chaos up here. Huh. There is pan, the pandemic created a whole new um, shortage of injection drugs, and I see a couple abscesses here and there, but I don't like I'm seeing these crazy wounds that all start the same way. It's like a purple blister, usually around the injection site, then then this purple blister looks like it flattens out and creates like a lake effect look to it and all of a sudden the whole tissue dies and it can be big wow it can be the whole hand it, it's it's insane and one of the health somebody again had the wherewithal to have it tested and it's um oh it's a animal tranquilizer they haven't uh i can't think of the name of it. xylazine they they don't use that anymore either it's one of the just the old jugs i'm assuming right. someone's buying in bulk um somewhere from like a Chinese drug manufacturing place or something. Where's the old drug warehouse? I wish I'd have found yeah, that when I was using. It's all these old things that nobody uses anymore, and I guess they're they're looking through the like the list to see. So it's an old trank that they use on animals. So oddly enough, that's one of the things that I've found. The internet has opened up is this uh, treasure trove for drug illegal drug manufacturers. They can go through all this old medical literature and go, mm-hmm. oh. Bingo, here's something that mm-hmm. shows these characteristics and these properties. So now we can cut that into this mm-hmm. drug. So these, a lot of, especially coming out of China, a lot of these illegal yep. drug manufacturers are specifically just going through all these different old medications. And to some see. of them aren't illegal. Yeah. Some of them are 100% legal to import. Yeah. You can get like a 10 pound bag of white powder that <laughs> someone's telling you you ordered from China, xylazine, <laughs> and you're just dumping it into like a big mixing bowl it's one of the ways they were getting around a lot of the the when we heard about like the bath salts mm-hmm. and all that that's sort of where that whole thing came yep. from is just going through old medical literature and figuring out oh this drug has this effect and it's not really illegal people just don't use it anymore so we can introduce it in this way and throw it out and say that it's bath salts or whatever and hmm. you know as they keep digging up all this old as as everything's put online and these treasure troves of information are out there people are using some of that information to make illegal drugs <laughs> and unfortunately with this not everybody reacts to it like um I, I had the privilege of taking care of a couple here 
the girl had nothing. She came in because her boyfriend had wounds. They're using the same drug. They're using the same needle, which is not warranted, but they're still doing it. Wow, even after the... Even after they have clean stuff available to them. Um, Mm. And he's getting wounds that she's not. And it's just, it's your immune reaction to that drug. So these aren't drugs that are like well accepted body wise. Like this immune reaction thing's probably why they're not allowed, or they stopped using them. It's because people react to them. Because levamisole, they stopped using, and they used to use it to deworm children. Um, and kids were having these weird wounds pop up. And they're like, oh, it's the drug, so we stopped using it. But now it's hit the secondary drug trade. Wow. Hmm. Those wounds are a complete beast. Um, I have a hunch that's the. With the dead arm, I have a hunch that it started with that and just kind of snowballed. So do you find you're having, like, any kind of success? Like, are there people you're able to help that <clears throat> never have to go seek medical help, that recover well and wouldn't have without the the expert knowledge? So the I have one one client that she uses in both hands, um, and I made a deal with her to stop using them one just to A, show her proof that we can heal it, mm. and B, to prove to me it's what I think it is. And her her one hand's almost completely healed. Wow. And she looked like, I mean, I hate to say it, but like a Halloween decoration. I mean, I, I everything I'm saying today, I've told them. So like I'm pretty honest, and I tried to be joking but serious with right. about the gravity. I'm like, you got Halloween decorations on the end of your arms. Like, it's horrible. So the one, but she, I think, and I'm like, this is all learning experience for me. She, I think she's addicted to injecting into her hand too. Mm. I, I didn't know that was a thing, like injection site addiction, where <laughs> like she can see it. Um, she's not hitting veins and it's, she just gets blood in the syringe. And that's what, what acknowledges to her that everything's about to get better. But it's not. I mean, she's just like dumping a bunch of trash into the tissue wow. and killing it. But she still, I guess she still gets the drug into her system. And we can't get her to use elsewhere. Like I've tried all the, like I've tried different, uh, teaching her about different injection sites, how to make other veins appear, that kind of stuff. Like the secret, the secret box of nursing stuff you're never supposed to share. <laughs> like I've dug deep for her. You didn't show the forehead hand. spot? No. <laughs> yeah. I, I won't even bring that up with her. <laughs> yeah. That, yeah. That's still, I still think about that. It looked like it, the abscess burst and it looked like a unicorn whose horn got popped out. It was like a socket on the forehead. Mm. So, and and we had made this assumption and then thought, well, I don't even know if that's true. Are, are most of these wounds or injuries from uh, IV drug use? Is it predominantly yeah. the cause is IV drug use? So I've, I have personally treated one traumatic wound, which was, I shouldn't have been there. This is a... It's a learning experience for for our group. Um, that I, it was a it was a split. It was two people I was seeing. One actually had injection drug issues, like um, wounds. The other one had a weird wound that was um, a stab wound, fresh, hmm. like three inch wide. Like I had no business. Like that that would have been the that's our catchphrase. We need to get out now. Hmm. Like is that like. I'm like oh, so I had to go dig back into the like traumatic wounds. Like can you breathe? The shortness of breath. Like take a deep breath, hold it. Do you feel any pain? That kind of stuff. Um, so all of them have been injection drug except for that one. Gotcha. But I'll treat anything. 
Like, no, I mean, uh, it, it doesn't bother me. Like, anything. If you show me a wound, I can help you with it. You haven't run into any infections from, like, people who ate too many edibles or anything? <laughs> no, not yet. No, no I, I'm still waiting. I haven't seen anybody, like, fall asleep and get, like, the zipper from the pillow they're laying on embedded <laughs> in their face. None of that stuff. I've seen no. none of that. Well, I thought the people who own edibles that jump off the roof because they think they can fly. Uh, yeah. Are the edibles that good? <laughs> yeah. So, we thought, what, you know, if... If a lot of this is coming from IV drug use, obviously, what are some things that people that are using can do to be safer? Well, um, honestly, safer use supplies, making sure, um, ironically, like Voices does, uh, all your kits and stuff, all, just to make sure everything's fresh, new, and clean. Um, don't reuse sharps uh, ever. Like ever? Ever, never, ever. Like one, one, and one done. time use? Should be one and done. Holy shit. Mm. One and done. Don't use it again. The first time you use that needle, the tip actually bends. Um, the third time you use the needle, you can rip the hole into your vein, and that's where the problems occur. So, like, you, you get, like, a one. That's why hospitals have a three-stick rule. By the, You can only try to stick a person three sticks. Then you need to get someone else to do it. It's because you've already ruined the needle. Mm. Um, and you're not skilled enough to get it if you can't get it the third time. And most people keep poking and jamming with that needle and you're just fish hooking the inside of the vein. Mm. Um, that's where the scars come up. I'm just I, thinking back, like I, to the, the idea of throwing away a needle that it was so hard for me to acquire <laughs> in 1999. <laughs> Fuck you. Right. I'm using that bitch like 70 times. Right. And people are like, no, nah, I clean them. I lick them. I run bleach through it. I lick it again. Like it, it's, it's horrible. These stories. So I think harm reduction has actually nipped that in the bud. Like, the fact that you can ask for syringes, Nobody judges you that you know how many you're asking for. We just need to keep track of them for safety and make sure we're getting back what we're giving out. So Dude, those- we got syringe delivery. It's like Uber. Yeah, it's it like is. Uber Eats for for tools. I, it I'm, it's amazing to me. I'm like, who the hell thought we'd live in this world? You can call up and order. They're like, hey, I'm going out. What are you going out for? I got a shop's box and some longs. Right. I'm like, <laughs> awesome. <laughs> it's wild, but I I do agree. Like, if that's what's gonna save people's lives and body parts then it's worth it i think this community we're dealing with up here and i think in the county where i'm at it's the distance between your service and in the city they just drove up to neighborhoods i mean we had multiple spots throughout the city there's a nondescript white winnebago would roll up people line up outside come in dump your sharps get new ones um but even then people were taking them and selling them for a dollar a piece and to combat that, because we'd only give out 10, this is when they were actually counting them and being pretty um, strict about it, we just started giving out as many as people wanted to stop people from selling them for a buck. Because mm. um, people are like, oh, yeah, like, you know, I, I just sell them. Mm. It's not the point. So I, I don't know if you know this, but like you guys take them to the really rougher areas where more of them are needed, but then white people come over and we still got to buy them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're, not br- go you're not bringing them to my neighborhood. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Yeah, so that in the county I we live in, it's every neighborhood is not in my neighborhood. Every single one. So um that's that's a hard nut to crack. Nobody thinks they have a drug problem in their neighborhood. Right. The last house I was in, I was looking out the back window of the four car garage apartment that I was standing in and there was an in ground pool, there was a half court basketball with painted lines, um, look regulation that like this is that's the community where it's at. Mm. We're never going to take a Winnebago in that community. Right. Everybody's going to complain. I'm surprised they didn't complain. They saw two people in a car that they didn't recognize in there. Mm. 
So it's yeah. So, so new tool every time. New tool every time. They give out alcohol wipes and shit too. Like I never had. Like that just yeah. that's what you get when you go into the doctor. Yeah, I never right. had alcohol <laughs> wipes. That was filthy. I hear horror stories of people like I just use whatever's in the Mountain Dew bottle. It might have been piss. It might have been Mountain Dew. I just use yeah. that. Yeah. Well, and like, I, I want to circle back a little bit on the the needle exchange and that a common what I'll call misconception with needle exchange or giving out unlimited needles is that oh you're just enabling drug use. Um, obviously I would say to that, you know, giving someone a needle is never going to encourage them to use heroin. Like I don't, no one is going to go, Oh, I got this free needle. I guess I'll go shoot some dope now. <laughs> like, right. that's making, not a- making people wear helmets on a motorcycle doesn't make them drive like assholes. Right. <laughs> like it doesn't make you have a motorcycle. It's just harm reduction. It's just that. Right. But it sounds like what you're saying is there's definitely a lot of health benefits to having clean needles in the using community. Besides just that community themselves and the individuals themselves, obviously transmission of different diseases from people sharing needles or. or So I I can't I can't speak for the the health department numbers up here. I know in the city, in the time I was involved with it, there was, I think, a 17 percent decrease in hepatitis. And that was the year I was involved. That wasn't from needle exchange on um, and HIV through IV drug use had dropped exponentially. It, the HIV stuff in the city was actually sexually transmitted more than it was um, needle wise where it was the inverse before. Right. And these are things that affect the whole community, the medical system. They're not just individual people it, with individual it wounds. It decreases a st- huge strain. And that's partly what my job is too. It's decreased the strain on the emergency room, even though they're the biggest pain in the asses with treating people. You, not putting a load into that emergency room might change it a little bit. <laughs> right. If I can stop people from going there and not have to sit there, start sweating and getting sick and wondering if they're going to be seen in like six to eight hours. If I can do that at home and they're comfortable and they're safe and do the same thing they're going to do at the emergency room, I can stop them from going there and creating a hassle for I'm, everybody. I'm picturing the seventh grader who comes home from school like, man, on the way home from school, I accidentally got in the needle exchange line and they gave me free needles. Guess I'll do heroin. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah, that's that's not going to happen. And so obviously the the clean needles, clean supplies, um Making are there sure any the sites clean? Yeah. Um there's antiseptic wipes that we have. Um they give out small wound care kits, that kind of stuff. Treat it on your own. It's education, and it's also, um, also I think it's getting the word out. It sounds silly, but it, I'm sort of preventive care too. So if I can teach someone when I'm there and the people that are there with them to take care of themselves, and hey, this is probably why you got this happening. You know, this is you know you, you reused your needle a couple times. You got an abscess from it. Like, don't do that. Like, just call us. Call the hotline. We'll get it out to your house. Yeah, call Uber. We have to come yeah. up with a name for it. We have to come up with a name. Right, right. right. User, user. Right. No, I don't know. I'll work on it. I'll have it next week. Uh, so what could the medical field do differently? I know that's a large question. So, um, What could they do to make people want to come there? If people don't want to go there, I mean, they've got enough reasons beyond the fact that the medical field is treating them like butt. But how could the medical field act different? I, I think you've already mentioned a couple of things. The fact that if we can decrease some of the, the load mm-hmm. on them helps, you know, right? Uh, and, and you've mentioned, you know, just the fact that you're compassionate. But what could the system do? Is it really breaking the whole system and doing it from the bottom up of treating people different in general? 
Um, I, th- I, my gut, I'm, I've been through a bunch of different things. I think it is that it's hundred mm-hmm. percent that I, I think we're not set up to actually, we're more about like, I keep saying it per head per, and the speed care, you know, like they started monitoring hospitals based on like, like you do a hotel, you know, like, were you comfortable? Did you get a good meal? Like mm. that's bullshit. Like you should be, did someone care about you? Right. And it's all it takes is a little bit of compassion, but you're not really awarded for that. Mm. You're awarded mm. for throughput, you know, like the, the hospital, like, Oh, you know, you were spent too much time in that room. You could have got that patient up to the floor and put another patient in that room. And we had to go and divert. Now we're in trouble with the state. Like it's all about throughput. Wow. Um, you don't get awarded mm. for kind, compassionate care. I don't know how to fix that. Um, one of my dreams is that I could, if if the opportunity arose, is just go and talk to the people at the hospital. Like the hospital up here is horrible. <laughs> I mean, it's horrible. I've, and I've yeah. not been there, so I can't speak from that experience. I can only speak from the experience of other people that have been there and had issues. Um I've been there. Jason had his own horrible yeah. experience. There and it well. wasn't even around drug use. It yeah. was around mental health with my daughter and our own experience in the emergency room. And I will, yes, the fucking hospital is some bullshit. It's, it's horrible. Yes. And like, I, I was joking yesterday, but if, if we can't fix it, I'll just get inside of it and get a job and just fuck it up from the inside. <laughs> yeah. Like I was like, just break the machine, you know, yeah. just get a job in the emergency room and work part time and just, fix it from the inside like it was one of those things it's because it's it bothers me so much no one gets into medicine to make to get rich nobody does everybody started at some point because they want to do right for other people mm-hmm. and at some point that flips then they start judging who they want to do right for i'll do right for you and you know the 60 year old diabetic has no limbs because he hasn't been doing what he's supposed to do right that's still okay. eats cake every day yeah that's, that's okay. fine but the kid who turned to drugs because his parents beat him and he had been molested when he was a kid i don't want to take care of you right. like how do you judge that right like, <laughs> it, it drives me insane i'm convinced that hospital is behind the scenes filming a what not to do documentary <laughs> yeah. and at some point they're going to reach out to me and like oh we need your signature so you can be in this film <laughs> right uh, how, to, I, how to not treat a mental illness right. crisis <laughs> I, I dropped the kid counter. off literally dropped the kid off there that had a wound they had said well you can leave just leave you know it's probably better if you sign out and the kid just walked home with a, with his whole foot was split in between his second toe and his third toe mm. that you could stick your fingers in oh my god and he walked two and a half miles ripped every stitch out and was sitting at home and didn't want to go back he didn't leave with any antibiotics because he signed out against medical advice he didn't give him any scripts and he just went home and like I was like this can't be true I'm like, did you get paperwork? And he just, he said, they had me sign this paper. I'm like, that's your AMA paper. Anything else? They give you antibiotics? No. So I drove him back to the hospital because his foot was red and infected and up to his ankle. Um, And you have to go through a metal detector before you go into the hospital. You basically pat it down at the emergency room. Wow. I've never seen that before. This isn't the Wild West up here. Right. Like, I don't understand. What, are people yeah. bringing, like, hand grenades in? Like, I don't understand why they've got, like, a metal detector and, like, a wanding people. Yeah. I... Yeah, we don't have a really huge violent crime no. issue up here. I mean, there's lots of, you know, minor petty crimes around right. drug use, but it's Someone not. Someone still blows inc- up. Right. It's not shootings shit. and violent no, crime. Not at or, all. You know. No, it's a tiny little community hospital. I don't understand. Unless there's other stuff that's happened that hasn't been made public, I've never seen a hospital 
it, like that. I mean, historically, living here for a long time, I wasn't born here, but I've lived here for 30-plus years now. The hospital's always had a terrible reputation, even before, you know, it was like, oh, I'm not going to Union. I'd rather go, you know, drive mm -hmm. myself an hour away than, <laughs> than to go to that hospital. And, and when we had kids, mm. we wouldn't take our kids there. We would drive them up to A.I. DuPont in mm -hmm. Wilmington because yep. that's a much better hospital yep. than Made to take them. Made for little guys, to, too. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it was a children's hospital as well. But, yeah, when we had issues with our kids, we took them to A.I. DuPont. We didn't take them... You know, and that was a hour drive one way when there's a hospital that's literally 10 minutes away. Well, here's right. a little known <laughs> factoid. The crap at that hospital has been there since I was born. Um, I was born here. And my mother had a miscarriage there. And she laid on the bed and heard the nurses talking shit about her. Wow. How she was, they, I don't understand why she's so sad. I don't understand why she's so sad. She has stillbirth. Wow. She gave birth to something that they thought was alive and it had died at some point between the beginning of labor and birth. And they Jesus. they taught my mom and my mother said, and I'm not close to her at all. She's like, don't ever be a nurse like those nurses. And that's something that scarred her forever because, I mean, she's in her like late 70s and still holds that chip that these are the, it's a horrible hospital, the worst people in the world. And, um, Where's the oversight? I mean, I, I so look, I complained to the, the person who really offended me. I complained to their boss on the shift when it happened. And the boss was like, oh, okay, well, you know, we'll, we'll do something about it. We'll talk to him. And I said, okay, well, where's the next step? I want to make sure I put this in writing, like a written complaint. And she was like, oh, no, there's no next step. You just told me. That's all there is. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Fuck that. So I went ahead and found the next step yep. anyway. That's what you do. And I and I wrote to the hospital oversight board, and they wrote back like two months later. I'm like, well, we're gonna make sure they have trainings. I'm like, yeah, that's not fucking cutting it. This guy's had 40 years of experience. His it's trainings like, aren't gonna help. Moving the beast. Right. You're trying to stop a behemoth from like this is the the American medical system, mm. and you're trying to stop it from doing what it does every day right. to every. It happens to every hospital. Um. I always tell people, write to CEO. If people, if the CEO cares about their hospital, writing them directly will make things happen. Apparently, there's some like, so I wrote the Maryland Hospital yep. Oversight Board, yep. and then I got in contact with some hospital regulatory board that's in Ohio. I don't even know who the fuck they are or something, but I, I was like, yeah, whatever. Uh, Just I'm, write whoever you can. Yeah, that's basically what I and did. And the other thing <laughs> is, um, I always recommend, and this does make change, it creates a lot of static, but it makes change, is getting... Um, a bunch of people to write your local newspaper, the editorial section. Uh, <laughs> they won't post anything. I, I wrote the Cecil wig and heard absolutely nothing about it. Mm. Hey, just bombard them. Get everybody to write. <laughs> like, honestly, it's, I know that kind of stuff happens in, in right. Hartford County and eventually it'll make it through just editorial wise, just write to the editorial department. So you mm. have, you just want to state something. It's, you basically bombard the editorial department with stuff and it will get posted at some point. Something will, um, so, okay. and this is kind of a little bit off, but are, are, is anything better? So we're seeing a lot of these like urgent care little shops opening up. Are things better there? I don't think they're necessarily affiliated with this particular hospital, but are they just extensions of bigger hospitals? Most of or, them are. Yeah. Um, like I, I work for the University of Maryland system and they're popping up everywhere. A lot of it is, a, it's a chess match. So you'll see... Like, there's a Hopkins one up in the town I live, like one of those medical centers, and it's a feeder line. So basically, then they'll feed to the Hopkins thing. Mm. The fact that an outside-of-the-state hospital bought your hospital is a chess – I mean, that that's like a checkmate because 
everything north of the Susquehanna is now going to go to the out-of-state hospital. Mm. They're going to feed everything upstream to, you know, to Delaware. Um, I know that Maryland was looking at this one too because they didn't want to. So they're dumping all the money into the one in Aberdeen now. Gotcha. It's all chess matches to try to garner the most amount of people to feed them into the the mouth down in the city, like mm. Hopkins or University of Maryland, That's for the, all their specialty care. Interesting. That's how uh, the Drug Policy Alliance, Tracy from the Drug Policy Alliance, that's how she described the uh, criminal justice system was mm-hmm. the same way. It's looking, it's a giant, you know, mouth, and it's just looking for feeders. <laughs> well, and partly it's how they get funded. There's a lot of money involved with, um, like, the, the glow, there's so many different things in Maryland that are different than other states as far as our budget goes for hospitals. Like each hospital in the state of Maryland gets X amount of dollars per every five years for Medicare and Medicaid patients. And that's they call it the global budget. So it doesn't benefit you to see more people because mm. it's based five years back. So your numbers like today are going to be used five years from now to get money for the hospital. So basically what it's doing it it's supposed to make you make your community healthier so you see a lot of these initiatives like hey this is heart health month come into the hospital get free heart checkups blah 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 it's to get those those people healthier but medicine isn't made like that like we that that's the whole affordable care act that it, it tried to change us doing about face but it really brought out like the insurance portion of it and it didn't about face the care mm. So, yeah. So, and, and just, I guess, from that whole idea, it's interesting because as people, we say, oh, well, the criminal justice system is there to help when people break the law and when we need, you know, some form of punishment for people. That's all it exists for. And the healthcare system is there to help people when they need help, you know, with their health care. But to the people who run these industries, that's not the outlook right right the criminal justice system is we need to make money and get funded by having more criminals yep and arresting them and locking them up and the healthcare system says we need to get funded by seeing more people and being involved with more insurance and And getting them out the door so you have the bean counters that are the ones the financial end and i can say that the the doctors in my experience the doctors are like oh you know i was green lit to do x amount of procedures i did them in the first three months i don't care we're going to keep doing it because in five years, these numbers are going to matter. So let them yell at me. So there are, there are assholes in the system trying to screw it up too, <laughs> trying to throw a monkey wrench into it. Um, it makes me feel good. Then there's also other ones just like, ah, you know, like go, this just get out, machine, get out, yeah. get out, get out. All yeah. I can picture is like, and I know I'm dating myself, but the Jetsons and like this conveyor belt of people and they're just like grabbing them by the head and putting them in the different categories. And like, there's no... Like you said, there's no compassion or personalization in that. It's just, oh, these signs and symptoms look like this. Throw them over in that pile and we'll, you know, shove whatever in their face like we do everybody in that pile. So this is this is something that's near and dear to me. Um, hospitals, I learned this when I was managing the wound center. There's a nasty thing called productivity. And productivity is the same way that you manage production lines. Exact same. And we use it in medicine. Mm. It's rampant in medicine. All the computer programs will produce your productivity. And what it is is like the the one that we have now will look at your staff, your staffing that's on 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 the shift currently. And every 15 minutes it uploads the people that are in your department, like patient-wise. And if if the number drops, it'll tell you to send people home. Hmm. So you're never going to be ready for an influx of patients. So you're always, you're, it's like how Toyota builds their, their 
industry, they buy enough to do for the week from the manufacturers that make the parts. At the end of the week, they buy for the next week. They never have a surplus of extra stuff sitting around. And it's a very lean mentality. So, I mean, there's days where we're recovering people in the lab when we're doing what we do where they shouldn't be. So we stick a nurse with this person. They have to monitor them constantly waiting for a critical care nurse to be called in so a bed can open up. Mm-hmm. Shouldn't be that way. Like we're an emergency team of people, right. but that's the way it is. And we're told that's the way it is. Wow. Like I, when I started doing what I do, we started with four person rooms and like, like at least 13 people on a shift. We're now down to 10. Hmm. And the next schedule coming up, we have nine. Now we, we can't do that physically. So that means the person that's in charge of everybody is going to start having to be in a room and that's to keep productivity up. Wow. Yeah. It sounds like when I managed a McDonald's forever it, ago, it's totally, <laughs> it's totally, if you have any management skills whatsoever and you're judged on making something, right. that's all it is. And it doesn't award you for complicated patients. It doesn't award you for compassionate care. If you screw it up when they send you the survey that you didn't give them compassionate care, it comes out that you, you're a terrible human. Right. It doesn't say that, oh, you know, but you're, you kept your productivity up. Right. And then if someone writes in and says how good of a human you are, everybody, bells and whistles go off. You get a cupcake to your department or some crap like that. And, you know, it's like, look how great we are. We love everybody we come in contact with. But the reality is it's not. You don't get it. The rewards actually sit with high productivity. Mm-hmm. Being told you're non-productive is the worst word to ever use for someone that is not in a production world. Right. Right. They give you a cupcake if you're compassionate. They give you a raise if you're productive. Yeah, yeah. that's it. No, honestly. But wow. they also cut your staff. So you're looking around, and the people you started with aren't there anymore because they had to move on or they, they left for one reason or another and not replacing them. Mm-hmm. So I, I was still doing uh, some work here regularly at Voices when you started on, mm-hmm. and uh, I think it was like the first trip you went out, or maybe the second or something. Somebody came back in, and they were like, "Oh my god, look! They just sent these pictures over that yep. he took of the wounds." And this could totally be my stuff at that point in time, right? And especially because look, you described the guy with the foot; you could put the fingers in, and I was like, "Yeah, that's fucking gross." Um, so I know I have thought about the medical field, and I'm like. I'm not a gore kind of guy. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't want to see any of that. So that's why I would never make it there. <laughs> but when I heard about these pictures, the first thought was, hey, I don't want to see that. But something really felt off about it. I was like, why the fuck are we taking pictures of people who are compassionately helping, right? Like, that just sat a little weird with me. Now, after that, I found out a lot of your picture taking, uh, at least it, the premise of it is kind of like, hey, we want to take pictures of you today. When we come back and see you again, we yeah. want you to see that there's been improvement. Or if they things... drop off the face of the planet. Right, yeah. right. So things along those lines. And so I can definitely see that there is valid medical purpose in it, right? Yeah. The initial hearing of it, it kind of sat a little <laughs> funky with me. I was like, that seems kind of exploitative or weird or or maybe we, we are. a coffee table book. Right, yeah. right, right. Dr. Pimple Popper, right? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, so... Have you ever questioned that practice? Have you ever thought, man, this is kind of sketchy somewhat? Or has no, anybody you've dealt with thought it was I, weird? No. Everybody, hmm. I, they, they don't care. They actually send me pictures, <laughs> um, which is even weirder. Like, I'll get a text message. Hey, we got this new person that, that wants to wants you to slide by. We'll set up an appointment. They text me pictures of their wounds. So they're sending these to, like, people in voices that right. aren't wound people. And, like, all of a sudden, my I'm getting the text of people's wounds. Um 
for me, it gives me a marker because seeing more than two or three people, like I can identify your wound. I don't know if it's healthier or not, though. Mm. So when I look at pictures, like I'll look, I'll go back through the one with the hands. I'll go back through and look. Like I'll flip back and forth between them. I actually open up my tablet and open up the computer and look at the wounds to see if we're healing or not. Gotcha. Um, or what's getting worse. And, and I can say, too, I've seen some of the pictures and stuff as well. And at least the way I've seen them or the way they've been presented is informative or training for voices of hope stuff they don't include people's faces no. they don't have no. they're just the wounds themselves they're still don't identify the individual yeah. you know and they're used for like i mean there could be a legitimate shock to like if i were on a call with you and we went into someone's house and i saw someone that looked like that i would be like oh my god you know what i mean and that's not the response you want to give right. when you're going there think. to right yeah. provide <laughs> well, trauma care on- right you don't want to be like <laughs> Wow, what is that? You know, that's the last thing you want yeah. <laughs> want to walk in there. Well, and in do. the time of COVID, we all wear masks, so that's the first thing. The the guy with the arms, he's like, I bet you'd never seen anything. I was mouthing fuck when I saw it. <laughs> yeah. Like really, it was, it was right. coming out of my mouth. Um, and it it was like that's a thank God for masks, but it's it, there's no exploitation. Like the stuff is only accessed by the director here, um, the director of medicine here. I think there's only two more people that have access to that whole database of that. And it's really just for quantification of what we've been doing, what we're seeing. And God forbid, if someone gets pulled into the hospital and they want to see what we've been doing, I write every note like I'm seeing them in the hospital. Mm. Like my notes are someone involved. I've been trying to streamline them. But so if someone asks, hey, how long have you been seeing this person? I could pull off a database all the stuff I've done, all the stuff I've seen, and photos from those each visit. Um, so that's something for like future hospital stuff. Cause I know as a wound nurse in a hospital, when people come in like, Oh, I've been treated by, you know, healthcare for the homeless. What have they been doing? I don't know. Like that is the worst thing. Cause you don't want to all, you don't want to change what they're doing. And at the same time you want to know what it is. So you can see if it was helping, making it worse or whatever. So it's all here. We haven't had anybody have to tap it for that, but it's all there for it. So instead of unsolicited dick pics, you're getting unsolicited oh, yeah. wound pics. <laughs> yeah, hundred percent. <laughs> and like you try to get like, is this on their arm? What is that? Oh, right. oh, that's their groin. Oh yeah. shit! It's a couple of those. <laughs> Have you ever thought like, and and probably not like realistically? I, I don't. I think some of us think kind of sick things and not like act like we'd actually do it, but just. We randomly think it. Have you ever considered, like, as a fantasy in your head, maybe I should get people to sign off on this so one day I can make, like, a, a YouTube channel of weird <laughs> yeah, wounds? Or- it's, it's, that's, it's all me. Like, I, I have, like, this stuff, half these folks don't, like, they're so shy that mm. it, would, it would kill me to know that stuff got mm. out to other people. Right. That's one of those things. It's like, I don't know. There's the, the, Everybody has a code of law they live by. That's one of them for me. It's like, dignity and stuff it's simple be nice to people and treat them with dignity and i wouldn't want stuff like that getting out right that's beautiful i think i on the flip side though you said something earlier like this would be an awesome this would be an awesome documentary if you cut out the wound portion and just saw the people interaction Mm. and and just cut away the wounds where you didn't see them Mm. because the people interaction this has been some of the most wholesome conversations I've had in medicine in like a decade. Wow. Is folks. Because you get to see them a couple times, like once a week, once every other week, and you start learning more about them. You can, you can actually like assess their full health. 
Like, how you been eating? Do you eat? Like, how do you eat? What do you eat? Do you cook dinner here? Like, how do you cook? And you start learning about- there's a willingness to be honest. Yes. And everybody's yeah. like really opened up about stuff. And you can actually, like, this is, and that's what harm reduction is. I mean, in a nutshell, is to bring people to a better place than when they started. Um, oh, my God. Hear this, listener. Yeah. <laughs> this gentleman goes out and works with the earthlings and the normal people of the world in the medical field all week long. And then needs to go out and work with substance use people with terrible infections for it to be refreshing. Yeah, it is. That's what? the sad part. I tell everybody, this fills my cup up. Like, I had a horrible week. Unreal. And like to fill my cup up is, like, I don't, I don't treat people differently than I do if I see them in the hospital or here. It's just there's much more compassion and caring from the people I'm treating here than in a hospital setting, too. Even if they don't want me around. Like, I've met a couple of people that are like, I just need to get away now. Like, well, here. I had somebody tell me that their, basically their cat was going to change their dressings for them. Mm. Yeah. Um, I was like, well, here's the stuff to give to your cat. Tell <laughs> your mean, cat this. <laughs> like, yeah. But yeah. Uh, this was another one of those dumps from the hospital up here. Healed uh, by a pussy? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Might have happened before. So are you looking for recruits to help you? <laughs> I have no clue. I, I honestly don't know. Um I've been always telling people like, oh, wound care is great. Wound care is great. For the, the voices employees, I'm starting to get a feel for who can handle what and where they can go. Mm. Um, and the volunteers the same way. There's some people that are gung-ho. They just want to go out and like heal the world. They want to cut abscesses open and stuff like that. It's not, that's not what this is about, <laughs> really. Um, then there's other people that are there for the compassionate side. Like I'm – I. I'm hypersensitive to stuff going on around me when I walk into a place. So when the voices people step up, like, hey, what's up? You know, so-and-so or, hey, how you been? You look good today. You know, like that kind of stuff. That, that warms me up inside because that mm -hmm. means the person with me cares. And everybody up here cares about the people we're going to. But it's a different level of, like, I don't know. But as far as, Von, like, people want to do wound care, I, I have – there's very few and far between. Um, the wound care – well, I imagine you'd have to nurses. wrangle them in like happened to you, you know. Yeah. Hey, will you come check this out? What are you doing Saturday? <laughs> the certified wound care nurses in Maryland are are more active in this field than I thought they were. Um, and that's happened in the past like two or three years. Bayview, uh, Hopkins Bayview got involved with the Maryland Harm Reduction Coalition thing. And like I started seeing people's names on like formulary lists, like stuff they use. I'm like – I. This is something we used at the hospital before. It just seems slightly augmented. And then I found out that the woman that got me into it was actually teaching Hartford County nurses some harm reduction stuff. I was like, it's such a small world. And they're like, it's not a small world. You're just a small group of people. So um, there's not many of us. Most hospitals have one or two. Um, and that's only for legal purposes to cover like wounds, like pressure ulcers and stuff. Right. Hopkins has a bunch, but they're all surgical. Nobody. I haven't found anybody want to volunteer. I'm trying to fail out stuff up here and maybe come up with a weekend to do like, like a whole weekend or like a Saturday of wound care or foot care for homeless. Like get them socks, shoes, clean their feet, check them out. I'm still trying to feel out a couple nurses. They only take like three or four willing to do it, but the, you should have some wound care experience. We'll see. Hmm. Something for the summer, or the the fall. Yeah, so when we talked to a couple people about what to do about this hospital, they said really the best thing to do is if you have people who care, like you, uh, to just start kind of building around it. And mm -hmm. if you eventually build 
a large enough system of your own that the hospital kind of gets forced into having to get better, right? Mm-hmm. And so I didn't uh, know right. if you had any plans of, like like Billy said, involving more people, expanding the service. Like, have you fantasized about that yeah, in your no, head? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> 100%. Right now, um, with what I do, I work four days a week, uh, 10-hour days, and I'm on call, I don't, like, I don't know, like 15 days a, 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 a month. Mm. Um, and that's, on the weekends, it's 24-hour call. And during the weekdays, obviously, it's from 5 to 5.30 in the morning. So those days, I'm out of commission completely. I can't come up here. There's nothing. I, I, like, I, do, I don't do anything. I live at the exact, you have to be 30 minutes from the hospital for heart attacks. Wow. And I am at 30 minutes. Traffic, right. I'm over. Um, so I just, I basically live and just wait for the pager to go off. So... If I if I could figure a way to work more up here, like Voices has me for 10, 10 hours a week, um, most of it's spent uh, like on one day going around and, and visiting as many as we can up here, and then kind of coordinate crap behind the scenes. Right. Um. So it would it would involve me having more hours up here. I don't know if they're working on that in the pipeline. Um. I was told possibly, but it's I need to find a a break. With my like work life and stuff like that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Do you have anything? Mm-hmm. Awesome. I, I really appreciate you coming on, Jason. And more more than coming on here, which has been fun, but yeah. I, I just appreciate what you do for the community. Um, you know, I think a lot of people that work with voices or, or around voices like we do, we all give a fuck. And it's just nice to meet more people that do. And especially one that doesn't really necessarily have those ties and doesn't really have a reason. It kind of restores my faith in just yeah. people. I don't, well, the other <laughs> part was I didn't think about, I, it, I came up here for a meeting um, midway through the pandemic and I realized I was the only person that wasn't in recovery. I was mm-hmm. sitting in the garage. I was like, Oh shit. I'm, and they're like, I was the last person. I was sitting at like the kids table. So I'm all shrunk down with this little chair and um. They're like a little bit about yourself and why you're here. I was like, well, my whole story has changed from like the 30 people we went around. <laughs> like these are the paid employees up here. I was like, look, I'm not in recovery. And I guess I didn't realize everybody was. <laughs> like yeah. I didn't think, I don't think about people that way. I mean, right. you're just, either you're nice or you're not. It's white or black for me. There's a lot of gray, but it's what you did in the past doesn't make you who you, I mean, it makes you who you are, but it doesn't make you good or bad now. Right. And, um, I was like, shit, like this is, these are all like people that struggled way more than I ever have in my life to get to a better place. Now they're just taking all that energy and redirecting it back to the community to help other people out. Everybody's going to be out of a job. Like there's a lot of kinetic energy within this group that you're just going to, like, you're going to fix this County. Then what, (laughs) you know, like there's, there'll come a point where you've done a lot and you brought people into recovery and you got them into like special care and whatever they need you've healed the, the broken parts of it. And, um, yeah, I, I don't think of it the way I appreciate when people say it, you right. know, but like, I see it the other day. I saw it in a dad's eyes. It was a new guy I'd never met. He had his little girl with him and we were talking in code <laughs> about everything. And, and the little girl went to go play with the dog and he turned around and he had tears in his eyes. He's like, thank you guys so much for doing this. Like, mm. like nobody cares about us. And it's, I don't understand why you guys are here, but thanks. Wow. And I'm like, I don't, I don't know how that, I, it kills me inside knowing someone thinks that. Right. You know? No, no. And I, I think that is the sentiment. Well, like, and, and that's why t- historically, like the addiction community has, 
predominantly been filled with other addicts because it seems like most of society or mainstream medicine or people that aren't uh, boundary pushers have been like, ah, those people, you know, they're not worth it. And so it really is nice to see people that think addicts are worth it, you know. It's like, and people see us, you know, Jason's now with a degree and doing therapy and I have a career and I volunteer at whatever. And, you know, we become these productive people, but yet we were those same people that you're yeah. going out to see now, you know, that you're seeing now in a few years or, you know, if, if they continue to well, get better can become healthy, productive members of it's society. It's funny because that's why I tell everybody, they're like, oh, I don't know what to do with my life. And they like, no, 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 no. Like I, like I was, one of the volunteers I work with is getting her master's for, to become a, a, a therapist. I'm like, no, no. Like, and she had like an eight year hiatus from college. Yeah. You know? She was saving money. Like it's like you can do it. Like anyone can do it. We all can do it. And it's, so there's markers. So when I see folks in the worst part, I'm like, oh shit. Like everybody's been in a bad part. Like and everybody's got crazy stories. Like I, the stories I have are nothing like the stories people have shared with me just coming up here. Like you did what? <laughs> oh yeah, the forehead. You could definitely hit a vein in the forehead. Like, oh. like the crazy stories. Yeah. Well, we thank you so yes, much for you. all that you do and for coming on. And and people out there, uh, if it's not substance use that like warms your heart or calls out to you. Take your talents into the world and give back to whatever community you feel called to give back to. And like, let's just be better people to each other and just try to, I don't know. That's what I got. Amen. So yesterday was Jason's birthday. Oh my God. <laughs> so Jason's not supposed to be eating cake. It's not healthy for his diet. We got a birthday cake that I'm going to hopefully not try. <laughs> well, so how old are you? 41. Awesome. So, Not really. Things change. I don't know. I when I turned four, like forty, I was like, ah, it's that old. Forty one, I started like re- revamping my life. Forty two is where I came up with the crap I said in the beginning. Like, <laughs> it's a short life. You don't got a lot. Right. You don't have a lot of like productive times to just do the best at living and making sure everybody else can live and run the same race. That's forty two. So like yeah. I'm forty four and I'm like I, I feel like an old man now. Yeah, I get it. I get it. It's uh, it, it comes at you fast. This is where this is. <laughs> you know, you're getting to the point where you can actually change people's lives now. Like this is, I think you got the tools available to do it. Mm-hmm. Like in in your forties is when I was like, oh, there's something to this. Right. Right. And and, and yet. I don't want to go on a kick. We're good. All right. <laughs> so don't forget to celebrate your 40-year-old people who are changing the fucking world. Uh, yeah. It ain't all about, you know, after you're 22, you're stupid or anything. <laughs> uh, we're out there making a difference in lives to the best of our ability. So I inspire inspire and encourage you to do the same, I hope, and uh, we'll see you next week. Share this podcast with people in your life who might enjoy it. Check out recoverysortof.com to find our episodes and link up with us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We're always looking for new and interesting ideas for topics, sort of. If you have any ideas for episodes or think you have something to come on and talk about, reach out to us. Reach out to us.